chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Hello and welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com. Wednesday morning, third day of the week, third podcast, as promised, previewing the 2019 football season here at West Virginia. In a moment, I will welcome in my partner, Chris Anderson. But before that, brag a little bit, direct you back to the homepage. Go to Earsports.com, check out all we've done so far. We've talked about how big and how tall and, and how much players have grown and shrunk in the offseason. And gotten some flack for that. I'm not sure why. Numbers never lie, right? Also talked about what newcomers or what players have to step into bigger roles this season. Important tasks for all the assistant coaches. And then upcoming, you'll see things like how experienced is West Virginia? What does that matter? In the conference and nationally, how was Neil Brown fared in his first season and why? Plenty of good stuff. But we will continue on today. Looking at the depth charts and the roster and the shape of things as it relates to the Mountaineers and to help me out, here comes Chris Anderson. Chris, almost there. How are you maintaining? Uh, just refreshing myself, getting ready for the season. Uh, we all know it's a long one. Uh, can go into November, December, maybe January if things get a little crazy. Uh, and then obviously basketball right after that. So we have a long time where we're just going to kind of be working all the time. So this week is uh, we got some beach time coming up for me and my family. Looking forward to that. And then kind of diving right back into fall camp. I have some skilled handymen upstairs renovating a bathroom and a kitchen. That's how I'm unwinding here for the end. And I think the last <laughs> time or one of the first times we talked, I was having a bathroom renovation that I was actually handling. I know my I know my weaknesses and I know my strengths um, and my weakness is not home renovation. So I have experts doing that upstairs. I will be going. Well, I almost did it again. I almost said where I was going, but I will be finally getting a vacation at the end uh, right before things start. But that seems like a long way from now because weeks and weeks of football camp coming up as disoriented as I am, because on Monday and again on Tuesday, I was doing basketball interviews because they start on Sunday. <laughs> they have a game in Spain on August 3rd. That's going to happen pretty quickly. So this is crazy how things are um, really developing after a period of not a whole lot happening for many months. So um, I think I like it this way better than the other way. And I'd like to take this moment to get right into it now because we need to talk about the roster. You and I spend a lot of our time on topics like the hard cap and the 85 players per roster and all that stuff. Um, and there's been a lot of maneuvering and, and attempts to get it right and we can go into the whole state of the program in a later episode, but just as it relates to the roster right now, can you even grade it, or is it hard to assess where it's at, Chris? Uh, I think I would give it an incomplete. Um, it's obviously not full. We, West Virginia is not at that 85 number, um, and even with a few of these late additions, these murky uh, kind of blue shirt, late ad transfer guys, even with them, that number's still only around 80, and it's unclear whom of those players will be available for this season. So I, th I think 
there's still some question marks about the roster, not only this year, but in the future and the total number of players that will even be available for Neil Brown to use in his first year. Yeah, I'd agree. The grade could materialize positively or negatively, depending on what happens with some of these additions. But you're right. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to assess right now. Let me ask you this. 85 is, is hard to, to really get to, and you see schools trying all sorts of different things, and there are rules now that make it hard to get to 85, namely the 25. But in, in 2019, what's a realistic, healthy number? For West Virginia? Let's just say as a if you're a power five program that has a coach who is into recruiting and roster management and you know eighty five seems tough seventy five seems bad is there a soft spot in there that that works? Uh, I think it's interesting when you when you say the the actual number uh, I'm going to put a little caveat on there. You want eighty true scholarship players, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is not. 75 guys that you heavily recruited as transfers or JUCOs or high school players, and then a a couple walk-ons that you rewarded with scholarships because of their hard work in the classroom and on the field and how they're starting to contribute to the team in some, in some way you need to get 80 true scholarship players and then kind of, you know, have those last handful to reward a couple walk-ons for their hard work and have one kind of in your back pocket in case someone comes available out of the blue. Um, obviously, if I were a little more of a cynic, a little more uh, hardline on it, if I were, say, Nick Saban, I would say your number should be 88, and you figure out the rest later. Um, tough luck for some guys. But I think realistically, you want to shoot for 80 real live scholarship players, a couple walk-ons that you re- reward with scholarships, and go from there. It makes me wonder sometimes how – schools plan to exist or how the people who put this rule forward expect the schools to exist. But can you imagine if everybody was on four year, multiple year scholarships? Uh, it would, this, I think it's already a disaster as it is. It would be even worse with that. I think it's tough to figure out these numbers with all the hard caps, the transfers, blue shirts, red shirts, gray shirts, medical shirts, everything else. Um, they need to simplify it, not make it more difficult. I think. Yeah, good luck with that. That's not exactly in their <laughs> in their vocabulary, too. So we we have a I don't know if it's if it's an achievement or or even a miracle, but it, it's pretty remarkable, nevertheless, that a coaching change and the amount of turnover, or I should say, attrition that West Virginia had, that they're at eighty ish, eighty plus, correct? Yeah, I think that's about where we have them. Looking at our scholarship distribution chart, um, again. I think that we have the number of like 79, 80, 81, somewhere in that range. But it, to be fair, a couple of those guys are uh, the ones that I mentioned, like walk-ons that we're getting rewarded with scholarships. So I think West Virginia's true scholarship number is probably somewhere around 75, which considering where they were uh, even just a year or two ago is pretty darn impressive. Neil told me, excuse me, Neil Brown told me that he was in First the First name basis again, huh? Yeah, we like each other now. Well, he... <laughs> He came to the fan club meeting. He brought a cake, and we've uh, since ironed things out. So it was pretty good. Anyways, Mr. Brown told me that um, they were at low 60s when he took over at Troy. So it could be bumpy. And he said after his four years, they were barely at 80. So it can take a long time. So to start there is really good. And and as you know, when Dana came over, I, I believe he was below 60, correct? I, th- I think I was trying to remember it off the top of my head, and the first number that popped in my mind was 52. It was it was horrible. Fifty-two, unbelievable. So now you have the number. The number's great. 
Um, and you are more aware of these things than I do because it relates directly to recruiting classes and the number of players per position, never mind per class. But it, it seems like it's not perfectly segmented where there's an even number in every class and it makes recruiting easy. But as they dig in and they try to put classes together, how much work do they have trying to balance this out? Or do they even have to do that? Can they kind of plug and play with transfers and, and two-year and one-year exceptions? Um, now, they, they have a board out which lays out everybody's eligibility. So they are looking a couple years out and trying to balance it with high school guys, JUCO guys, transfers. But with the availability of all these new transfers and, and how fluid everything is with the roster, I don't believe that's as important as it once was. I think people put in a lot of thought into – Hey, I got, you know, a couple young guys here. I need to get JUCOs. I need to get this. I need to get a couple high schoolers to kind of even out, quote, even out the classes. That I don't think that's a thing anymore just because of what I'm talking what, what we've been talking about all all off season, all of these transfers, all of these guys coming becoming available in May and June and transferring schools in the middle of the summer. It's it's just not that big of a necessity anymore because you can almost always fill a need late. Can you imagine rallying toward 85, getting there, you have the social with the punch and the cookies and the chips and everything, and then a day later, a kid from the neighborhood, let's say a border school, he's a five-star player, he's like, you know what, I really want to go to WVU, I, I want to go play receiver, I want to go play cornerback there next year, and you got to be like, uh-oh, I don't have a scholarship. Uh, no, you you got to pull your best Nick Saban and, and find some kid who sprained his ankle and put him on a medical red shirt for the next 10 years. That's what you got to do, Mike. Spicy. Those allegations <laughs> will not stand. I cannot. We'll have to edit that one out. Leave it in. I don't care. Um, what do you like about the uh, – we talked about the composition, and you made some good points there. It seems like you're you're pretty impressed, as am I, with what they've so far accomplished. And it is incomplete, but I think the progress is pretty good. And they I think they took over a better situation maybe, or at least a situation that had the potential to be better. Um, a lot of people want to say that, the prior staff gave up, so on and so forth, whatever. Um, but what do you like about the actual content of the roster right now? Players, a group, depth, position, what do you think? I mean, obviously, the first thing that comes to my mind when you say a strength is running back, which, let's be honest, th this new staff was kind of gifted a, a pretty solid quartet in McCoy, Petaway, Brown, and Sinkfield. Then they added a very... Very good player in Tony Mathis, somebody who I think could, could kind of fight right into that top four, um, although I think they would like to redshirt him. But, you, you know, fall camp, who knows? Maybe he might not give them a choice. Um, that's a big one. One, I think they did an excellent job of uh, kind of adjusting or adding too late. I love that Sean Ryan ad at wide receiver. Um I think there is some 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 talented some talented young players at wide receiver, but to get a guy like Sean Ryan, who contributed to Temple as a true freshman, out of nowhere, uh, he's got good size on him. And we, we've you and I both saw him walking around at, on campus when we were up there for recruiting camps. He, he's a nice sized kid, uh, not as big as your Adonis Bryce Wheaton, but he is still a, a man at receiver. He's still somebody that I think could contribute, and he has three years of eligibility or four years to play three, depending on if he's going to be eligible this year or if he has to redshirt. But either way, he's still young. He can still contribute and help down the road as well. I, I think that was just an enormous addition. And then George Campbell, somebody can help right now. Um, just an excellent job by the staff with shoring up a wide receiving core that really took a hit thanks to all the 
you know, NFL departures. This is a reminder you can buy your Bryce Wheaton very mobile statue <laughs> t-shirts at earsports.com. Um, I'm with you there. I'll tell you what, I was surprised that they added two receivers. They had additions and they had a small number of scholarship players they could add. Um, I was surprised at two quarterbacks. I was very surprised at uh, two receivers. I'm okay with quarterbacks. I think you need to collect them. Like I said this before, like Funko pop dolls, you got to have them. Um, and you got you to gotta have a big collection because you never know. But I've always thought that the old staff recruited receivers pretty well and at least had talent potential. And I was surprised that they weren't going to let those guys roll the first year. But if you can get a guy like Ryan, as you mentioned, with all those positives, that's good, especially if he's eligible. And Campbell is eligible, and there's nothing wrong with taking a one-year flyer and a guy like that. That's good. But you know what? Those are two transfers. And if you look at their roster of transfers, it's pretty impressive. Like, is I don't want to I don't want to say the word worse, but is their quote unquote worst transfer Brandon Thrift, who may be the backup nose guard this year? And I, again, worse is not the right word, but like if you're ranking him, someone's got to go at the bottom, and he just hasn't played a whole lot. But like, Akeem Bailey is maybe a starter, and I mean maybe he'd be near the bottom too. But if you look at if it's quarterbacks, if it's receivers, their junior college players are all either impact or trending to be impact guys. And that could be a Miller, um, you know, in the, at the cornerback position, it's, you know, their offensive line, Kelby Wickline, maybe a starter this year. I've, I'm kind of pleased by the work that they knew the new staff is doing to continue what the old staff has done and, and kind of doing your homework on transfers. Because in the past we've seen here, Guys come from a junior college and don't materialize. Guys come from another college and don't materialize. I, I really can't think of a case like that where somebody isn't in line to contribute. Now, a lot of it's up to them, but a lot of these players have played and are in position to do a lot more coming up. Uh, and I hate to take this off into a recruiting tangent here, but uh, to your point of, of this new staff continuing, uh, Jordan Leslie has ties to the Mississippi Junior Colleges and was the lead recruiter on defensive tackle Quay Mays who at the time that West Virginia offered him, that was the only offer. And he picked up a couple other ones, a couple small ones, um, but it was mainly West Virginia as far as high-level Power 5. And he committed to the program after an official visit earlier this summer. And then guess who comes calling as soon as the dead period is over? Oklahoma. You know, this is an unranked, unoffered kid. West Virginia jumps on him early. Had only played one year of high school football, but Jordan Leslie and his connections – and his scouting kind of picked this kid out, and we're like, this kid's going to be a stud. West Virginia got him, and then Oklahoma comes knocking on his door, begging him to visit. Um, so I think this, again, follows along that line of what you were saying, that this new staff is going to continue that of finding those gems in the JUCO level. I'd be very curious to see how they handle JUCOs, because Leslie's very plugged in. That Mississippi Mississippi conference is probably the best. It's better than probably some group of five conferences. Some of the teams are. Um and then, obviously, Siler knows the Kansas Junior Colleges, and if you can get your tentacles into both of those, that's pretty good. Um, before I get the hate mail from the Thrift Fan Club, uh, I know Brennan. I had him in my class, my sports journalism class. I think he could appreciate the nature of my ranking. He's an aspiring sports journalist, so I don't think there's any hard feelings there. And as I'm thinking in my head, John Hughes, uh, Noah Guzman, uh, Isaiah Esdale, those guys haven't even played yet. Thrift has, so that's probably not a fair comparison. But you get my point. Um, someone as good as him you know, is kind of outflanked by players who, who have been around, too. Um, conversely, we talked about things we like. Uh, things that concern you, I'll take this one first. Uh, I'm concerned about depth in the trenches because, God, you got to have that. I've said this before, too. The one thing that really surprised me upon entering the Big 12 was how good the backup defensive linemen were and how how like impactful they were too um 
you know, your backup defensive end, your backup nose guard, sometimes your third line coming in for a series and just getting a three and out or causing some disruption. Um, that was important because possessions in the Big 12 are vital. And if you can mess one up for somebody with a, a bunch of reserves, that's really good, especially those reserves aren't. West Virginia rarely played four or five defensive linemen sometimes, too. So that became an amazing um, attribute you had to get. And for whatever reason, the last staff didn't excel on that. Um, I think that Leslie wants to change that, even if he's playing nine, just to play nine. And maybe that develops, but some question marks there. Interior at the nose position, and then maybe a tackle. We talked about some of the flexibility from end to tackle, and maybe some of those tackles can play end. Maybe some of those ends can play tackle. Who knows? And then offensive line, we've been over this too. The right side, the center, um, the left guard. By the way, that's four-fifths of your offensive line. And we're talking about a team that's going to start a center who's never snapped in a game and a left guard who's only been playing football, period, at any level for three years. Um, boy, that's not rosy, right? No, I, I'm not quite as concerned on the defensive side of the trenches as, as the offensive side. Um, but, yeah, Jessica, if you look at that offensive line, you know, I feel comfortable with Sills. Um pretty comfortable with McKivitz. Obviously he had a great year at right tackle. I'm curious how it, how it translates to left. Um, and then, you know, Mike Brown, a left guard, like you mentioned only three years and, and he's had a rough time being able to stay on the field, not necessarily because of injury, but stamina issues. He's, he's overweight or has been, he's, he started losing some stop sending me hate mail about the heights and weights, please. Um, and then no experience at center, no experience at right tackle or little experience at right tackle. A lot of just a lot of concerns there. But defensive line, Mike, I, I'm okay. feeling all right about it. I, I was, I was I, the guy who said this after the spring too, so I feel like I'm contradicting myself a little bit. But I, I know where you're going. It's not terrible, right? It, it's not horrible. I mean, it, there's not as much experience on the defensive line, but I, I feel confident. There was a lot of rave reviews from the coaching staffs about Alston at the defensive end spot. Jeffrey Pooler has had his moments. We've heard some good things about him. Quandarius Qualls was in line for a starting linebacker job. I'm curious how he translates to D-end um, after that knee surgery and, and some weight gain there, and a good, presumably good weight gain. Um, Darius Stills has had some solid showings and knows. Reese Donahue, Dante Stills at defensive tackle, and they could move around. You know, As you mentioned, Jordan Leslie told me back in February – that he is very comfortable, say, moving a defensive tackle down to nose or a defensive tackle out to the end. Um, so we could see some movement there, say maybe move Dante in some, Reese in some when need be for rotations. And then you add Ruben Jones, um, a former you know top 100 player uh, that transferred from Michigan. So I think it, it it's not – I don't feel – uh, you know, it's a strength, but I don't think it's as bad, certainly nowhere near as bad as the offensive line. I was doing my research for this because that's what I do. And Reese Donahue, I forgot, told me in Dallas that Ruben Jones could play outside linebacker. He's that slick and that fast, uh, but could probably also handle himself at nose guard. So, man, if that is true, and who knows how inflated that is because they're teammates, but uh, Donahue's been around. He knows what to say, but he also knows you know, when he's lying and he's not going to. So that's really intriguing. I guess I'm with you. Um, I just, I worry about so much being on that second line 
And if that doesn't work, then you're putting a whole lot on the third line, or not even like in the order of ascendancy, line one, line two, line three, but those backup players, you're putting a lot on if that second line of players doesn't really do great. And it's it's cool to think about it, but boy, a lot of those players just haven't been out there no matter what school they've been at, and it's tough. But if you look at what Austin's done, Austin's been the best player on the field in, in, in a pretty good junior college conference. And now in a power five league in the spring, that's good. So one, two, three, yeah, not really an issue, which kind of leads me into this here. We're talking about backups, whatever. I am impressed by this and tell me if you agree. Obviously there are things that have to go right. I mean, they're going to need a couple of projects to get great grades, whether that's, you know, let's find some backups in the offensive line. Let's find some difference makers at receiver. Let's find some people who can deflect or pick off passes in the secondary. You could spend a couple minutes and make a list, but they have candidates for all that. Like, let's find a starter here, but you kind of know who the players are. I don't think you can go to a starting spot or a backup spot where it's a question mark. We laugh at or all the time on depth charts. It's better than a blank or a question mark. So what do you think of that? That, like, sure, there's work to do, but you know who's going to be there early in practice and late in practice to fill those spots. Well, I think – the first thing that comes to mind when you mention that, like the cat safety spot, Sean Mahone or Josh Norwood or Jake Long. Yeah, like if you ask me if I'm concerned about that position, no, I'm not. I'm not, I don't think, I'm not sure any of them are going to be all Big 12, but I'm not sure that's going to be a glaring hole if that's what you're trying to say. Like I, I, I think that's a good thing. You're right. Have a couple oars there. I like the numbers. I mean, there's not one of them that's shallow. I mean, we're talking about, Three quarterbacks who, let's say they're not all legitimate starters, but they can all play and they all have played. We're talking about the running back position and the great depth, but you can go to pretty much any position. I mean, we talked about the offensive line, the defensive line. There's guys at every spot. Um, you know, there's only three or four guys at nose guard. That's crazy when you think about it. It's better than what I was just talking about, where a defensive line didn't use more than four or five players in a game. And now you're talking about multiple players at a position. And again, you can pretty much pull any position out of a bag and find that where there are candidates to play everywhere. I think that's a good situation for them. Um, you're going to get mad here, but we're going to run out of time. We can't talk about special teams once again. <laughs> I'm going to get mad. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have the obsession with the uh, backup punter there, Mike. I think that's you, buddy. They have to find a punter. That's obviously the weak spot on the roster. I have a soft spot for specialists, but that'll have to wait for another day. So that is all the time we have here. Thank you for stopping by. Until next time, I am Mike Casaza. And I am Chris Anderson. We will see you then. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.